Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome mountain bikers, welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, episode number 23. Thank you so much for being here, I really appreciate you listening to the show. And I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about this mountain biking thing we love and the people involved. If you're a beginner or just getting into mountain biking or a seasoned pro, this show is for you. We won't bombard you with technical jargon just straightforward conversations and information. So I hope you enjoy. So on today's show, we are talking with Brian Lenehan, who races in a number of local enduro events. But the main thing we'll be chatting about is Brian is also registered blind. So if you feel you need a kick up the backside and some motivation to get you out in the trails, then this is the episode for you. Brian talks us through how the injury happened, what affected his eyesight and would turn his world basically upside down. He takes us through some dark times that, you know, obviously would happen with something like this. But this is also a story of determination and discipline. Brian has come out the other side and has come to terms with his condition and all with the help of close family and friends and, of all things, mountain biking as well. We'll be chatting about how super active Brian was in the sport world before his incident. We'll chat about how he lost his sight, how it affects his daily life. We will also be chatting about how mountain biking really helped him get through these difficult times and how that all came about, how he started a mountain bike, how he was feeling at that time and how his first ride went, etc, etc. We chat about how his blindness actually affects his ride and what he has to do to compensate for that and the awesome way he goes about that. We will chat to Brian about the races he's going to do this year and in the near future and we chat everything really about his condition, how people can help. We talk about the bike, how he needs to set that up differently if anything at all. Um, It's all good stuff and it's awesome to have Brian in the show. He's such a cool guy and I'm so, so happy that we can give him the podcast as an outlet to chat about his condition and um, he has really taken it on his shoulders. He's really dealing with it well and um, it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So please, Let's introduce Brian to the podcast. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It is awesome to have you on here, sir. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show. How is everything with you this evening? It's all good, guys. Thanks a million for having me. It's um, it's, it's brand new, but uh, dead excited now. It's uh, it's class. It's not. It's very. It's not very often, I suppose, that I um, sort of speak about the stuff that we're going to have a chat about. Um, so yeah, great. It's uh, it's progress for me in that respect too. Yeah, excellent, and, and I'm glad we can help that way. Um, and it's all really down to Michael Reagan, kind of because he, he chatted to you, he chatted to me about you on. I had him on the podcast episode number nineteen. Um, uh, yeah, nineteen, and he was just telling me about um how you had went to Dava, et cetera, et cetera, and raced in that, and didn't actually tell anybody that you were partially blind yeah um, I, did, I just kind of rocked up <laughs> so that kind of blew his mind it blew my mind when he said it um on the podcast blew my mind on the morning let me tell you 
Uh, so it is awesome to have you on here. And it was actually Ethan from Mountain Bike NI that got me your details and kind of hooked us up and stuff because you're quite Brilliant. friendly with Ethan and and all that. So it's awesome to have you on here. Um, and it's very different, I think, for a podcast um, because for anybody out there that hasn't heard of you or doesn't know, um, you're partially blind, but you still race mountain bikes. How unbelievable is that? Yeah, that uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And you know, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, to me, it, it doesn't seem that um, you know that amazing or that that kind of uh, groundbreaking in that respect because it it came about as part of rehabilitation, for want of a better term. It came about uh, through. Basically, um, we'll we'll sort of I'm sure we'll touch on this in a while, but it, mm-hmm. it came around. Um, I was in a pretty low place uh, post post injury and post diagnosis, and really, it took it took a sort of a divine intervention from my board, and it was mountain biking to uh, to snap the cycle because, you know, I was I was slipping into depression that if it had kept going, touch wood whether come out of it or not, you know that way. So. Yeah. It it came along and you know it's 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 one of those things where you know somebody would see me who knows me and would think cheaper he's on a bike he's got pretty much zero central vision that's flat out but there's a method to the madness because there was a huge amount of work went in the background um of of focusing on what site I did have uh, mm. to enable that to happen as opposed to just getting on the bike and excuse the term but flying blind you know so uh, to me it it doesn't seem one it doesn't seem that amazing and two um it it kind of it, it kind of feels a bit cathartic in that respect too because it was it it was a means to an end and obviously it's just you know it it worked that's yeah. the that's the main thing well, listen. We'll we'll touch on that a wee bit because uh, a wee bit later because I think that is absolutely amazing, you know. And I love, I just love it. I love hearing stories like that about what mountain biking or anything like that can do for people. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just think it's it's terrific, and I'm so stoked that you can share it on the podcast with us. Um, so so it's awesome. But I want to I want to chat and I want to let people know that are listening um about your condition. So. Let's get that out of the way first and sure. just fill us in on what your condition actually is, Brian. No problem. My, my condition is a thing called NMO, which is uh, it's abbreviated for neuromyelitis optica. And effectively, it is a rare neurological condition, um, so rare that really one Caucasian shouldn't really get it and two Caucasian males definitely shouldn't get it. So I do not know on this God's planet, how I ended up with this thing. Mm. But it's on the same, it's a sister variant of MS, um, very, very, very similar, just a couple of different uh, pathological differences, but same same symptoms, um, same same spectrum as MS, um, same permanence as MS. The only difference with mine is that um, I don't have good days and bad days. So, Whenever my symptoms arrived, or the onset of the disease, whatever way you want to you want to talk about it, um, that was that was it. Uh, so my my sight doesn't get better one day to the next, or the physical tingles, uh, the tiredness, the you know, 
bowel problems, things like that, they don't have have good days and bad days. So that's that's the main the main difference with with it and uh, and sort of I don't like saying it, but regular MS or or the more common MS. So that's that's what it is, and that's um, it has its good points and its bad points in that respect because. Um, with with me not having good days and bad days, so one day is when there's when there's no symptoms, and then the next day when there's bad symptoms. It even though the symptoms are always you know at the level they are, um, I don't I don't sort of get a false hope that oh this is improving, uh, and because it it doesn't dip the other way very I haven't had another attack now since the very very first one, it's quite stable in that respect. So I don't have days where I'm thinking cheapers. You know this is worse, so it, it works. It works both ways in that respect. And but, what do um, you, what, sorry, Brent, what do you mean by attack? Just just tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, that is uh, how it came around. So when 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 I say attack, um, one day I was totally fine and woke up and wasn't. So something had changed within my body and. The central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system thought each one was a, a foreign body, and they attacked each other, which ultimately meant that the um, the myelin sheath on my optic nerves got attacked, uh, as the body thought that it was a the nervous system thought it was a foreign a foreign entity. So, when I say attack, it actually was a wee mini attack inside. Right. Wow. Yeah. Pretty. Uh, pretty. Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah. Certainly. And. You, you know, you weren't obviously born with the condition, um, and it happened through an accident or something along the lines. Can you fill us in a wee bit on that? Yeah, it happened. Uh, it happened playing a game of Gaelic football. Believe it or not, um, just had a collision with a goalkeeper. Um, just a, it was actually a friendly or a. a um, uh, a nothing end of season game, and I was playing corner forward and went turned went went to go goalwards. Uh, the ball bounced in front, kicked up, and I went and turned. And the keeper who was coming out uh, didn't didn't turn in time or didn't stop or for whatever reason the two of us hit each other and um, he knocked my spine or something to that effect or my studs got stuck in the ground but there was some kind of trauma to my lower back mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought you know felt groggy going home and can't really remember the end of the game came off actually um, so I just presumed you know had a concussion or you mm-hmm. know something to that effect um, but you know the co- collision itself you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't anything that hadn't occurred before. You know, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, you didn't get hit around the head or anything like that. No, or? it was spinal. It was spinal. Right. Um, and so, I I just got home that evening. It was a Saturday, and I got home and mm-hmm. and I just said, you know, I had a bit of a dig in the in the game there. I'm just going to chill out, and uh, that was it. Never thought anything more of it that evening. Like I wasn't in any intense pain, or wasn't in any. Um, you know, wasn't rushing to hospital or anything like that. It was it was so kind of understated um, until I went to sleep and woke up and uh, had these two circles um, in my central vision. So like two fifty p's right in front of where I would look at someone's face, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, right, okay, this is definitely has to be concussion. You know, 
yeah. spine linked to brain, brain linked to spine, eyes linked to brain to spine. You know, that's the way I thought. And uh, so I thought, right, I'll give it, I'll give it a couple of days. And uh, training was training was due again on Tuesday evening. So Tuesday evening came and no change. And I thought, right, well, concussions can take up to one to two to three weeks. You know, it'll it has to. This has to be what this is. Like it, it wasn't there on Saturday morning. It was there on Sunday morning, and the only common denominator of something occurring differently was that 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 collision, that knock. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday night came, didn't go to training, and uh, Wednesday morning came, and still these, you know, the central vision was was affected, and um, that's when I had started noticing these uh, tingles in my two feet, sort of. From the toes backwards, moving, moving backwards, moving backwards, and I was thinking, "Jeepers, right, okay, uh, maybe not concussion, maybe just you know tweaked nerves or something." Mm-hmm. But by this point, Gareth, I was definitely starting to, you know, I was putting two and two together, and I wasn't too far away from four. I knew something wasn't, you know, wasn't um, wasn't correct. Mm-hmm. So typical human nature, I said, "Right, I'll give it a week, and then I'll uh, I'll reassess. Um, hopefully, it'll go away." A week came, no change. Um, tingles were getting progressively higher up the legs at this point, and uh, the vision still hadn't improved. And I was like, "Right, this is this is not good." So I did the unthinkable and googled, and came up with, you know, the the first thing was uh, brain tumor and spinal tumor and that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Right, what did I, you know, what did I do that for?" But yeah. At least then I knew that, you know, I wouldn't have Googled if I didn't think something was seriously amiss at that and point. At this stage, you were still a typical man and you hadn't went to go and see your GP, is that is No, that right? here, man, I hadn't went, <laughs> I didn't go to see my GP. See, after that, see that watershed moment of knowing a week, sort of week, two weeks in, that um, something was, you know, things hadn't improved at all. Uh, in fact, they were going the other way. They were getting worse. Um since because then I, I thought that I was just noticing things for the sake of noticing or you know I was just um, being overtly concerned about every sensation but at this yeah. point my hands were starting to tingle now and I was like f and hell this is mad and, so, and I think it you weren't going to work or doing anything like that at that stage Brian uh, I was trying I was trying to um, continue right. on as, as pure normal but okay. um, it was getting increasingly increasingly difficult so once once that point had once I got to that point I almost, I look back on it now and it was almost like I w- missed a window of opportunity because then I, I knew something was, was not right. I had convinced myself that it was some kind of, you know, something so bad. Uh, and the talk of, you know, the internal talk of me going to the doctors at that point and I talked myself out of it. I was like, nah, nah, I'm not, I'll, I'll give it a month. And then a month came and then I said, I'll give it two months. And at this point, I was an expert on MS because the more I Googled uh, the symptoms that I was getting, we were moving away then from the sort of the brain tumor side of things. And, um, you know, the uh, um, optic uh, optical cancers and that kind of stuff, we were moving away right into the neurological conditions. And I was ticking every box, every single journal article or every um, medical page I read, I was I was buying in the middle. Perfect. So I was thinking, 
right? I, I have a, a pretty good idea of what we're dealing with here. But at that point, I had almost developed coping mechanisms in that, um, you know, I was, I was sort of already devising coping mechanisms in terms of other people not noticing. Now, right. that was in my mind, but other people were noticing. Why do you think, Brian, you, you weren't telling anybody at that time? Do you think it was you, you were hoping that it would maybe get better over time? Or, you know, I don't want to say you were kind of pushing it under the carpet, but were you kind of dealing with it in your own way so that... No, I, I think looking back and as, you know, as, as time goes on into sort of, um, you know, the, the recovery phase, I, I definitely was pushing under the carpet because... Yeah. You know, I, I knew after after a certain amount of time, I knew that something was seriously amiss. And I also could have, you know, I could have told you that if we'd have been talking seven, eight years down the line now, that it definitely was a neurological condition on the MS kind of theme. But I also, the more I hadn't talked about it and internalized it and the more that I hadn't went and got it seen to it. The monster was growing within in terms of it was getting worse and worse and worse. Um, how severe it is. And you know, what, what if it's, you know, what if it's life threatening? What if it is a, a you know, God forbid a, a tumor, you know, it just, it, it, it was getting worse and worse by me trying to hope it got better. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I was kind of a victim of my own downfall in that respect, because through doing all, you know, all research and um, you know reading the crack journals and and reading proper you know peer-reviewed medical stuff I, I was getting good quality information but I was just keeping that information inside knowing what I was probably dealing with but not speaking about it and not I was actually scaring myself into not going getting checked effectively mm-hmm. so that brought us up to this MRI in Liverpool and I don't know this place works in mysterious ways, but the morning of the MRI, um, I got a phone call saying it was cancelled. The radiographer had something more urgent or something occurred, and I should have been livid, but the relief I felt that morning was unreal because this was another day then of not having to not having to open up to it or not having to yeah. dress it. So yeah. it actually it actually fitted nicely in with how things were going at that point because then I was able to say. Here I didn't I didn't get the MRI done because it wasn't my fault, you know. Somebody cancelled, and uh, I I remember just sitting in the house going, "Dodge the bullet there." That's another day now. You don't have to worry about this in terms of of being told it's something serious. So mm-hmm. ultimately, I suppose those early days and how I how I kind of mismanaged the beginning. Um, probably led quite a bit to what would occur later in terms of, you know, falling into a bit of depression and um, learning kind of anti-coping mechanisms, for want of a better word, in that I was able to, you know, disguise the grief process and all this because I'd kind of learned how to, I'd learned avoidance yeah, um, through being scared stiff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. suppose is to describe yeah. it. But after the MRI, then basically my my dad, you know, he just said, "Right, enough's enough." Um, we were pushing on to, oh, we were probably pushing on to close to a year um, when wow. when the family basically because I was I was 
pop them back to the GP. And you know, once the MRI was cancelled, it took an you know, it was it almost like being back to the start of the conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. And that um, had to wait on the waiting list again. And then my dad basically said, right, he said something seriously. You know, this hasn't improved. If anything, it's got you know it, the symptoms developed very very quickly, but you know they they haven't went away, and uh, we took the decision then to move home and and uh, go private over here initially and get the ball rolling and just jump in and and get it diagnosed and find out what it was initially what it was and uh, to what uh, what we need to do. Yeah. And and how was it affecting your daily life? Forget about mountain biking, but how was it affecting your daily life at that stage? At that stage, it was it was getting pretty pretty difficult because um, I was working in Liverpool University at this particular time, um, and I was working in the psychology research department, uh, dealing with you know data fields and quite a quite a bit of uh, of research material and even you know i just wasn't able to i wasn't able to see it and what i what i could kind of model through um i was just so slow with so that was a that was a major factor just basically getting around was a major factor because even though i hadn't been diagnosed at that point i was visually impaired you know at that point i was you know my sight was no different then as it is now Mm -hmm. um so i was struggling you know with everything that you know uh, a visually impaired person would struggle with in a city environment but i still hadn't learned the correct way of um crossing roads for example or you know i was still mm-hmm. i was still trying to um to kind of i suppose still trying to walk sighted so pretty dangerous in that respect um yeah. i i didn't have all the the tools with me at that point to be you know to be uh, as safe as i could be so it was it was pretty rough and plus the the physical sensations and things like that were were um were obviously just completely brand new i had never really dealt with them before and they were driving me mad you know even some nights not sleeping because your foot was in spasm or your legs were just do things at, at night and stuff, and I just hadn't um, experienced anything like it before. It was uh, it was yeah. bizarre, is not the word. Yeah, certainly sounds it. And if you don't mind me asking, Brian, what age were you when that happened? Thirty four. When all wow. all this and 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 we chatted about it a wee bit when we were speaking earlier, but you were heavily into sport at that time as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that was the the major the major thing um, in in life, really. Um, you know, and I I don't even say that loosely. You know, at that point, and the you know sort of adult um, adult sporting life came before you know degrees came before career. Mm-hmm. Probably only were on a podcast that would say off the record, but probably before relationships to a certain degree. Um, yeah. so I'll just not say that, <laughs> but, uh, no, you know what I mean? It, it just, it yeah. was, um, it was everything. Um, uh-huh. so that, that in itself, um, little did I know what would occur, you know, in the, in the years to come, but to me, you know, um, that meant 
that that one day, like one day I was playing, one day I was playing Gaelic football, and the next day I wasn't. It, it was that mm-hmm. it was that simple. Like I never went back on a pitch. Never yeah. went. I went back on, but never kicked the ball again. Um, never, you know, never got into a changing room again. Never sat with the boys again uh, in a match environment. Never pulled a jersey on again. Everything just stopped that day. Um, and psychologically, that was hugely difficult to take because I suppose a part of me went that day too. In that in that respect, it was um, it was. I suppose the the one thing looking back now, people would say, you know, but you're you know you're mid thirties, you're probably do, you know, you're going to pack it in sooner or later. And I could never really put my finger on what emotion I was feeling regarding that. But I suppose the overriding feeling was that it wasn't on my terms. You know, I wasn't. I was still relatively fit. Uh, I was, you know, we were, my club, John Mitchells at the time, we were pushing for um, All-Ireland um, club championship positions. In fact, the year I got injured, I missed out on a junior All-Ireland final in, in Crow Park. And, you know, that just seems, even to this day, that just seems like unfinished business. You know, I'm, I'd, and because where I was mentally, I didn't even travel over with the boys. You know, I didn't go. So yeah. all that hard work and all that, you know, that, that one common goal that we all had, I, I missed out on because, uh, one, because of the injury, but two, because I wasn't, I wasn't dealing with it. I could have went and, you know, carried water or friggin', yeah. I was going to say I parked the bus, but that, that, yeah. that certainly wasn't well, happening. But well, I, it I been a, yeah, it would have been a very difficult environment for you to be in, I think, with, yeah with your condition and stuff so let's talk a wee bit about um and and i want to get away from this and and get into the mountain biking thing because depression wise and mentally how how were you dealing with it then what what was your real down times your real your real kind of dark thoughts and stuff can you do you mind talking about that no i don't at all um and that's actually probably one of the things that i probably the last thing that i have talked about um throughout you know the whole thing like i've been i've been it took when when we moved home which was five years ago now it took um two and a half almost three years for a diagnosis due to the fact of the rarity of the condition and the fact that they had to dispel every other condition under the sun so 380 something blood tests or something something ridiculous like that it was just hospital, hospital, hospital. And plus, because it was neurological and because it was permanent vision, it was neurology, ophthalmology, and then neuro-ophthalmology in the Royal to link the two together. So when when we started the diagnosis route at home, um, it, it was just full-on, constant you know, tests, constant uh, mm-hmm. assessments, constant checks. So at that point, I thought, right, here, you know, we're over the hump now, um, all the bad stuff occurred when I was trying to keep it, you know, keep it inside and, and not, you know, show there was something, something wrong. Little did I know, you know, unfortunately, how I dealt with the, the, the pre-diagnosis reared its head again post-diagnosis um, because that ultimately was, that was subconsciously how I conditioned myself to deal with it. So, mm-hmm those traits that I had learned once, you know, once I had the condition, but it wasn't diagnosed. And once I had the condition in Liverpool and wasn't telling anybody, all those little traits that I had learned to kind of, um, to keep it under wraps, 
they reared their head again once uh, once the diagnosis process uh, began. And I'll, I'll tell you how, Gareth, because the diagnosis process was so long, that was identical to the feeling of um, the MRI being cancelled in Liverpool. I quickly learned here, this is this is quite complex. I don't mind going to the hospital tomorrow because they're not going to get anything. They're not going to tell me anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe in this limbo. So ultimately, the family thought that that was me coping because I was joyous. I was, you know, I was quite happy. I was, I was going, oh, yeah, we have another hospital appointment tomorrow. Sure, no problem. We'll head over, blah, blah, blah. We'll get a cup of coffee. And that, that wasn't me being happy or joyous. That was me um, knowing that I wasn't going to get any bad news. If that, if that makes any sense. No, so, it does make sense. Certainly, I, I don't. I, I totally understand what you're what you're saying there, and and I can, you know, I can definitely imagine that. Yeah. So this went on for the the entirety of the the diagnosis process, um, and then the day that that I, my neurologist sat me down and he says, right, we we have a diagnosis. Um, this is what it is. Uh, I'll. He said to me, do you want to um, do you want to bring anybody in? for you know for the for this the statement and I, I just said no far away so he told me it was uh monophasic nmo and i says the monophasic was the, the big attack i was talking about so mm-hmm. obviously mono one phase so he, he gave me those words and i i went right that's unreal um that lou right what what happens now and he says Right, we have to set up what's going to occur next, care plan wise. And he said, "How how do you feel? You know, you've diagnosed now. How do you feel?" And I I said, "I feel fine." And when I got home two hours later, the I suppose the only way to describe it is the floodgates opened, and mm-hmm. I just didn't see it coming. I I actually probably convinced myself I was fine, but it was the worst afternoon feeling wise it was horrible um just there was nothing else to hide behind it was it was in black and white that i had this permanent condition that was degenerative if i have another attack it's not going you know i'm not going to have an attack that makes me eyesight better i'm not going to have an attack that you know that removes the tingles it's only going to be one way so that then became my focus and when we talk about the dark days gareth that's kind of was the pinnacle or the the that set the bar that set the barometer because then i started thinking here if i walk outside now and um somebody walks into me this could trigger an attack or if i bump into a door frame this could trigger an attack or if i trip on a on a curb because i can't see that curb properly that'll trigger an attack and all of a sudden i was thinking here do you know what probably safer if i just stay at home now definitely too dangerous, too dangerous. So I had almost, back to what we were talking about earlier, I had almost um, unwittingly uh, sowed the seeds for how I would deal with the post-diagnosis um, period. And unfortunately, that was in the negative. That was in the, um, you know, that was in the avoidance and uh, everything that came with it. So I still wasn't at this point um, up to dealing with it or, or coping with it. Um, so... Yeah, the, the, the dark days were not one to leave the house, were um, waking up in the night thinking panic attack almost, you know, you're going to have another attack tomorrow, what's going to happen next? You know, um, yeah. it, it was pretty pretty grim. Yeah, 
Oh, I can't, I can't imagine. So, okay, it's all happened to you, devastating. How did mountain biking help? Well, what took you to there? How did this, how did this whole thing come about? This whole thing came about, um, you know, obviously having, you know, up sport was, you know, as we talked about there was was everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I went from my whole life in in Ireland before we moved to Liverpool, you know, was based around playing hurling for Armagh right up to, right up to seniors. Went over to Liverpool, um, got a love for football again. And that, that became the pinnacle. And my brother kind of put two and two together once I, you know, once I was supremely struggling and thought if we can get him, if we can get him into some kind of sport again, um, it can it can it can't be any worse than what's occurring at the minute. You know he, he can't he, he actually can't get any lower. If we he, you know he's missing sport. He's his identity is out the window because everything was based around you know that mm-hmm. that uh, I suppose that that identity that you have when you play Gaelic games or when you have you know it doesn't matter if if I'd have played rugby it'd have been the rugby identity. If I'd have played hockey mm-hmm. it'd have been the mm-hmm. hockey identity. Um, but that all went because I distanced myself then from everything. G- yeah, um, probably say it was because you needed something to blame and all that kind of stuff. But the fact was that, that identity and how I seen myself was was over. Mm-hmm. So it was a rebuilding process that my brother spotted and and thought, right, what's he into? Well, he's he's always been flattered into bikes, bikes, totally different. But this might just work. Mm-hmm. So he fateful day just says, right, this is the plan. Get into your garage and get a bike sorted out there. We're going to head to Castle Wellen on on Sunday. And I was like, well, I said F off to begin with. And then <laughs> and then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? Why not? Why mm-hmm. you know, if I hate it, I'll just get into the car and I'm, I'm no further on, but I'm no worse off. And if I if I like it or if I don't get scared stiff. We're on to a winner here. So we went to Castle Wellen and we rode first. We rode half half the red loop. Luckily enough, I got a puncture, and uh, that that cut that out because at that point fitness was <laughs> not even close. So we did half a lap, but I remember riding the first first trail halfway through the first trail at the wee hairpin, just thinking, "Man, this is it now. This is us. We are on to something." And yeah, so, within that so, two and a half minutes. Really? So it, it it didn't take much convincing. And I think the way you just said, you know, you just explained there, you said to yourself, why not? I think that's really positive because that was you saying to yourself, I need to make my life better here again. Yeah. I, I'm missing something. I need to get outside. I need to not be as, to be as afraid. Get oh. out, get active. And, it's just in you because sports there it's always been with you at that at that point gareth i i knew that we were heading to the point of no return in terms of mm-hmm. you know anxiety setting in and you know um sort of post um post injury depression and all that all that yeah. kind of stuff that came with it i i knew that that was becoming um almost like a default setting for want of a better term, I, I thought, I remember sitting thinking here, do you know, I'm actually forgetting what it was like to be not unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, I knew that here you, you might only have one opportunity here to to snap out of this or to begin begin the process. You know, at that point, I still, you know, I wasn't thinking with a clear head. I still wasn't convinced, but I knew that I had to give it a go. I knew that, you know, um, it wouldn't be long before relationships would start suffering or before people would have started getting, you know, fed up trying to help. You know, it was... Um, before I wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have been too long maybe before I wouldn't have left the house, you know, who knows? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it was it was a watershed moment. It, it really was. Um, and it was the first time probably, you know, having been so ingrained in, in Gaelic sports, it was probably the first time that I really thought outside the box in terms of, I'd always been into cycling, but it, it um, you know, it, it was just as a, as a subsidiary sport or a, a byproduct, um, everything always came back to those those games. Yeah. Um, but this was the first time that I thought, here, do you know what? There is a sport in life, or there is, you know, there is a, a recreation or an activity level away from them. And I remember thinking, do you know, this is going to sound terrible, and I don't mean it, but I thought to myself, here, well, Gaelic games caused this in the first place, so why, you know, stop pining and. You know, go and try something else as far away from Gaelic games as you can. Now, Gaelic games didn't cause this. It was just an unfortunate situation. But I still needed something to to rage at, something to something tangible to to crack up at. Um, and I, I I certainly do not mean that Gaelic games did cause this because yeah. it could have happened on ten thousand other knocks right through from under tens to to that day. You know, it really could have. It was in me. There was there was some there was a switch that was going to get switched somewhere. Mm-hmm. But my point being is that that was the first day that I thought here, do you know, you've got this wonderful opportunity now to try something and it's more than just sport because this is the opportunity or the propensity to take you out of the rut that you're in right now. And uh, maybe it was maybe it was my mind thinking, yeah, let's let's grasp this once it started. But within that first half of trail, I, I knew that this was <laughs> this was it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, and had you ridden Castle Welland before? No, that was the first day. Wow, that was the first Unbelievable. day. Unbelievable. And were you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. I remember we were in the car park, and Eamon had been riding a couple of years previous to that, anyway. Um, and we were in the car park, and I had a my my bike was a giant XTC, and uh, I was looking at it and I was thinking here you know the last time I was actually on this bike I was fully sighted now I'm going to try this on this trail that I've never been to before um and I can't see in front of me how is this going to work so we had a bit of a chat about it and uh we kind of took um we took the the briefest of brief leads from from Kelly Gallagher and the the Paralympic skiing, and that Eamon yeah. was going to go in front. I was going to try and sit sort of five to five to ten foot on his back wheel, and he was going to give me um, commands. Uh, for example, high left would have been a branch up at the left hand side. Low left would have been a low a low rock jutting out or a root or something. And it was the most basic of system, but it got us through that first half lap. Um, unscathed. Now hmm. it wasn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't by any means modern, but we weren't, mm-hmm. we weren't dander neither. So I thought, here, do you know, this is definitely we're onto something here. And then 
my my sort of scientific mind started kicking in about what kind of a system can we devise and you know how we're going to work this and this is all right from that moment i i started thinking first time probably in you know four years maybe yeah diagnosis and the year previous to it I started thinking positive. I was thinking, right. I remember sitting at home that Sunday night with a, with my notepad, which I still write in to this day, uh, thinking to myself, right, system, what can we do? And that very next Tuesday morning, I was um, wheeled the bike down to Craig Avon Lakes Trails and just spent four hours doing loops of it, trying different head positions, trying different um, mm-hmm. different angles of, of vision with peripheral um have you done this yourself? Yeah, I was just down on the Tuesday morning oh. and spent Cheers. spent the next six months just riding with Eamon on the Saturday and the Sunday and practicing on my own down there constantly throughout the week. Just boom, 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 constant trying to get it mm-hmm. trying to get it uh, instilled and ingrained. Yeah, and describe to us, Brian, what your vision is like when you're on the bike because I want to speak to you about the Dava Enduro, obviously. Um and how that all came about and everything. But can you just explain to us what or how you're limited when you're on the bike? When I'm on the bike, um, let's see, now the best way to describe this. Do you, are you asking in terms of what, what can I what can I see on the bike? Or Yeah, like how like how does it affect your riding? You know, what what do you need to change up? Oh, okay. Perfect. Um yeah, so when I'm on the bike so if you were riding right in front of me and we were going down um, a fire road, I wouldn't be able to see that you were there if I looked straight ahead. So if nice. I turned my, ha- my head to the left and looked over my left hand on the handlebar and my central vision then was facing out over my left hand, I could see you then in the, the corner of my eye peripherally and the right, same okay. with the right hand side. So that's what I, that's what I do on the bike. Now, I, d- I don't... I don't try and look down the trail because there's no point. It's actually more dangerous if I do do that. So I look o- look over my left hand um, to the side of the trail and don't worry about, you know, the detail of every little stone. Just stay mm-hmm. on the sort of the the ballpark figure of that's the trail and that's where you need to be. Yeah, wow. Um, so d- what about depth perception and, and that kind of thing? Not great. Right, okay. Not great, uh, simply because peripheral vision picks up the roundaboutness and your central vision hones in on the detail. And with me not having that detail, I'm kind of left with the roundaboutness. So what I what I do then to, to try and kind of combat that is, um, I would say try and not preempt what's coming next. So if my peripheral vision picks up a corner, I will take that corner and not adjust what I'm doing on the bike until peripheral vision picks up the next corner. So I can't, I'm not really good at linking left, right, left, left, for example, it would be left Mm -hmm. corner, right. What's next right corner. Okay. What's next after that? A left. Oh, and then another left. So it's just really not, not trying to instinctively focus on, on what's coming afterwards or what's further on down the line, because that just doesn't work. So it's really just about what's literally in front of you and not worrying about, you know, not worrying about the detail. For example, going into going into a berm, um, to me, that could be just a flat corner or it could be an off camber corner or it's a berm. I won't know until I get onto it. So I just right. have to ride accordingly and not try and preempt. 
Yeah, which obviously is very difficult. But yeah, that was you that was drops that you're scared to go over. You just go. I protect them. Left left side of the of Boundary Rock, um, Eagles Rock too, for that matter. I I oh, just walked up to them and and thought, God, here's a nice a nice slab, uh, nice runoff right down to that wee corner at the bottom. I got to the bottom of Eagles and the same thing. You know, over that and then sure, you're just onto that uh, that bit of that bit of muck before you turn at the tree. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that drop was there. Yeah, and and were you doing that yourself? Well, Ian was with me. Um, right, and did he not say, "Hold on a wee minute, stop, stop"? No. No, you see, that's that's the. Do you know now that you mention it? No, and and that's almost the beauty of it. I I I don't know if it's because Eamon trusts what I'm doing on my bike, or if. He knows that you know it. It's just something that we can manage. But we rarely would. Um, if now, if it was something serious, serious, yes, he, he'd be like, "Here, we're you know you're not going off that cliff." But mm-hmm. in terms of trail features, he just lets me get on with it. And I suppose too, you know, um, he's looking after his own riding in that respect as well. So yeah, we just kind of uh, get on with it. And if something goes awry, we 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 either have a laugh about it or pick up the broken bike <laughs> yeah yeah wow and I, I know you've you've ridden in quite a lot of the trail centers where yeah. else have you been to we have been we, we try and get uh about quite a bit now um eamon will be quite quite good mates with um with uh, rick bale up in bally castle so we've been up there a couple of times uh, yeah um but not as often as we should have been over the summer just with stuff coming up and bits and bobs we yeah uh, we didn't get up quite often uh down to tollymore which is just unreal uh and i suppose one of the personal favorites would be bigwood so, so your condition doesn't scare you off going and trying different places and experiencing different trails no we would um yeah, we would just we we just carry on. Um, what's the most the most intense trail that I've ridden? Probably on the pulse. Right. You see, you've you've read a lot more places than me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that 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 was hurry. But um, some some of the actually just when you mentioned trail features, um, some of some of the the bigger crashes. And a couple of a couple of uh, pretty pretty bad ones were on on uh, on natural trails, mm-hmm. simply because yeah. the differentiation so between trail line and not trail line just isn't there. Okay. Yeah, you can't see. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You can't see the actual trail. It's not like a trail center where it's all kind of mat. Well, it's all kind of stoned off and drainages in and all that kind of I, thing. You know, back to what you were okay. saying. Uh, it's yeah. very difficult for me to try and sort of portray how the peripheral vision for me works, but um, it's almost it's almost color coding in that respect. So if I'm at Dava and I'm going down Wolf Hill, for example. There's there's three colours that are in my peripheral vision. There's green on the right hand side, there's green on the left hand side, and there's grey in the middle. And grey is where I have to stay at, whereas the natural trails don't have that. Um, and also they're the same colour as trees. Yeah, 
Yeah, wow. Uh, so, so yeah, trail centres are definitely better for your condition um, than the natural ones. And I suppose all the roots and stuff in the natural ones, would you even see something no, like that? No, no. You see, if I if yeah. I look down, um, if I look down, let me see, you know, a pretty straight. If I look down uh, Super Noodles in Bigwood at, at the start, that to me is just a beautiful, uh, smooth, nice 150, 200 metre um, nice brown footpath. It's only when I kind of get going and my front wheel hits something that I realise what it is or what it isn't. Yeah. So uh, whereas the trail centres, you know, it's a I want a, a person who, who I'm quite friendly with who doesn't ride bikes asked me about it, you know, saying it's a bit crazy. And I said, no, it isn't. When, when you're at a, say, for example, you're at, um, you're on the Red Loop in Castle Wellen, it's a wee bit like being on a train track or a, a roller coaster. You're totally safe if you stay on, if I stay in that two and a half, three foot grey section, totally, totally grand. Now, that's not saying that nothing ever goes, you know, goes amiss, but mm-hmm. th- that's where you stay, you know. Um, so my peripheral vision will pick up the grey line and I, I stay on that and oh, away I go and ultimately um, you know we'll talk about the Dava Enduro but ultimately that's why the Dava Night Enduro I actually felt that I was at a slight advantage and actually placed better in that than I did in the, in the daytime because how I ride with the, the light is no different than how I ride in the, in the daytime so times probably aren't much different. Right, well, Anderson. Well, let's talk about the the Dava Enduro. Then. Yeah. Um. So you rolled up to that the first year you done it. Um. You didn't tell anybody about your condition. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what made you do that? Well, what happened? What happened there was we had been riding. Me and Eamon had been riding about um about six months at this point, and. I had got completely comfortable following him and he was completely comfortable with, with me uh, being with him. So everything was, you know, it, it was just natural. We actually very rarely spoke about vision at this point, um, even to the point where I was, you know, getting my uh, my YouTube and was, was uh, up and running in terms of studying what trails we were going to ride, uh, including the likes of Bigwood. Um, so I was actually getting to the point where I was getting quite confident in, in leading out. Um, and we, we had honed our, our system that I only needed really to follow Eamon on trails that we weren't sure of or trails that we had never been up before. So we had been riding Dava quite a bit. And of course the, the competitive nature in both of us was, was kicking in. And I was like, here, this, this, this race is coming up. I want to, I want to do it. And he said, right, okay. Now, unfortunately, uh, Eamon had to be away with work. So he was he was in Dubai or somewhere the, the weekend of the race. But sure, of course, at this point, I had told anyone who listened that, that we were riding this race. So I couldn't back out, even if I wanted to at that point. So I thought to myself, right, this is, uh, this is hurry enough. I'm actually going now very, very comfortable with riding with Eamon at this point. But... This was me riding on my own, literally on my own, without him in a race scenario that I'd never done before. I thought, well, you know, you can pick them. You know, this is just talk about easing yourself in. Freaking hell. (laughs) So I I just on the Saturday morning, I just thought to myself, you know what, if you're going if you're going to go up here and pussyfoot about, sure, what's the point? 
So go up and give it gung ho and see what occurs. Worst case scenario is your DNF, you just don't finish. Best case scenario, you complete the race. Best or even again scenario is you complete the race and you placed placed well. So the goal was to try and get top hundred just for something to focus on. Um, but inside, I was like, I want, I want to be top seventy. Really want to be top seventy. Uh, finished ninety seventh, livid because I didn't get this friggin' oh dear, didn't get this uh, top seventy like a, a spoiled brat. But I did get top hundred and finished the race and loved every second of it. It was just uh-huh. class. And went home then had my little time sheet uh, for all the stages, knew I was losing time. And for for that was in 2016, Gareth. So then there was the 2017 right. and then the Knight Rider uh, 2017 to, to come afterwards. So I, I was able then to pretty much pick of the six runs, um, pretty much pick exactly where I thought or where I knew I was losing a bucket load of time and why I was losing a bucket load of time. So by the time 2017 came, I probably had, I didn't ride it any better or any worse, but I made up, I finished 41st then, so made up nearly wow. 50 places, only because I knew where I was slow. And that actually ties in quite nicely to sort of the mindset that I got myself into with bikes in that, right, yes, the vision isn't, your central vision isn't there, but that's not going to change no matter how much you worry about it. That's not going to no amount of moaning or anything is going to is going to bring that back. So that leaves a vast amount of other stuff that you can actually manipulate to make up for that, whether that be fitness or whether that be learning corner speed or whether that be um, just your mindset, just how you're thinking about the race. All that stuff was was in my control, just the vision wasn't. So stop thinking about that and work work out where you can save time and where you can lose time. And it was even wee things, Gareth, like, you know, at the start where the wee uh, timing beacons are to begin your, your wee wristband and then when they stop at the end of the stage, right. I, I learned where they were. So I wasn't losing five seconds by slowing down too early or um, not gaining a couple of seconds at the start by not kicking into gear quick enough so i was yeah. i thought to myself if i if i can save five to ten seconds a stage and just on just knowing wh- when i should be actually going and when i should be stopping time six that's nearly a minute that's bound to be 10 or 15 mm-hmm. places bound to be mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. how i started thinking about um <laughs> and this this started off at the very the very night the Saturday night of the 2016 race finish and kept going right, right up until 2017. So a year I was thinking about this stuff going, I can see a five seconds here. I can, if I, if I know where that timing beacon is and I push down that hill, I can definitely save a couple of seconds there. And I finished 41st then and, um, in 2017 and totally, totally delighted with that. But I remember at the end of 2017 thinking to myself here, 41st is good, but, um, you made a ball to this bit, and this didn't work out, and you could held up here and didn't, you know, didn't get, didn't get through, and there's another ten places. So mm-hmm. this coming year, top thirty is the target. My <laughs> whether I've pushed the limits and whether I've pushed my boundaries to the point of no return, I don't know, but we'll see. Top thirty, that's that's what I want. 
if I get it. Good on you. If I get Good it, on brilliant. You. Good on you. Um, but I could go the other way. I could, <laughs> I could just be so lucky in the past too, and uh, this one just goes horribly wrong. Well, you, you definitely do your homework, and you probably do more homework than anybody else doing that. Aye, because that, that so ultimately that is uh, is one of the tools that I do have control of. So why not use it? You know, if I if I can do a wee bit more homework and do a wee bit more fitness work and do a wee bit more um, practicing of the skills that I don't particularly like than the majority of the other riders, that'll make up in some way for the vision not being quite as good. That's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah. So you rocked up to the comp. It's the first comp you had been in. Um, you didn't tell anybody <laughs> about your condition or anything like that. So I, I know, did you know Michael at that stage? No. What happened was I rocked up and um, I had I was very, very acutely aware that I hadn't, you know, mentioned this, this visually impairment. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I've got a form saying that, you know, Brian, you're registered blind. But I thought to myself, right, all I really need to do is I know I know Dava inside out. All I need to do is don't worry about looking at the wee course map because that's pointless. Just ask the just ask the marshals, you know, where the stage finishes. That's all you have to do. So every marshal I got to, um, I was ready to go at the start gate, and I just said, "Here, where do I where do I finish up here?" And he was saying, "I'll oh, check your map," and I was saying, "Ah, oh, just uh, it's easier if you just tell me." So then they would say, "Okay, cross the road at the car park, turn left onto Big Wig, and blah blah blah." So I knew then exactly that that's that was my map and done. Uh, but mm-hmm. how I got to know Michael and how I uh, Michael got to know of me was that the the marshals were just unreal because no matter what I asked them. Um, the answer was there. So they actually made my lap a success, for want of a better term. So when I got home that night, I um, I just give Michael a, an email or a, an instant message or whatever it's called and just explained the situation and thanked him and asked him to pass on thanks to, to those guys because they were they didn't even get annoyed or anything. Anything that I asked, they just gave me the answer and, and the way I went them in merry way. So that's how it uh, it came about. Unbelievable! And you done a piece or you done a you put up a social post or something afterwards that Glenn O'Brien and and Michael got involved in. What was that all about? What that was, and again, it was a, another another step on the on the on the route to. Um, I suppose another step on the route to being okay with with my condition. Um, I applied to British Blind Sport for my sport classification. Should I decide that I want to get involved in um, competitive tandems or visually impaired cycling? So I got my classification back in pure black and white with a big big B and a big two beside it. So I'm classed as a a B two B one being um, the worst site level and b3 being the the other side of the scale in terms of competition that that's the three so if if you're watching tra- um track and field it will be t11 t12 t13 that's the same as b1 b2 and b3 so i fell into the b2 category but that was the first time that i had actually seen it in massive you know print that, that i was looking at this sheet of paper going that that there we are that that's if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a 
para-athlete now, there's the figure, that's that's me. And I thought, do you know what? Send that on to Enduro and send it on to have a chat with Glenn and see what they think and put it out there and just see if any any other person, it didn't even have to be a vision impairment, it could have been a hearing impairment, it could have been maybe just struggling emotionally or anything at all, just say here, there's this chap with a, a big B2 by his name and he's riding around on his bike and just really to get, I suppose the, 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 the purpose of it, Gareth, was just to get people um, to have a have a chat, really, have a chat, and see. Mm-hmm. Initially, I I was then I got all mad into it, and I was saying I was saying to Glenn and Michael, here wouldn't it be good if we could get some para categories in in uh, the the events. And I was probably quite naive because um, one, I never really thought about the amount of the sheer amount of work that it would <laughs> it would make for those boys, but also it it. it that was just it's. I was saying this to Glenn the other day after the um, the mountain bike NI thing. That's actually just incidental now. It's not a. It's not about that. It's just about other people with uh, an impairment or a disability, sort of thinking. Here, do you know, I I could maybe give that a go. Or it doesn't even have to be biking. It could be anything. It could be going for a walk. Yeah. Anything. So no, it was it was really cathartic actually. Me seeing this big B two and sort of thinking to myself here, Brian. Never mind Gaelic football or hurling. You know your county jerseys defining you. This is what this is the new definition now. This B two, and it actually felt good. It actually felt wow. pretty good. Whereas two years ago, it had been ripped up and put in the bin or kicked, put into a ball and kicked down the street. Um, but it actually, I, I looked at it with a bit of pride. Almost, it, it was pretty cool when I seen it. Yeah, and mountain biking has allowed you to do that really no doubt about it no no doubt about it um the biking started it just reignited something inside and and took it from there and um it just it's just made everything all right it's just made everything good again yeah isn't it amazing class it's just you know it's i i can't put into words how um how how major it's it is in in terms of you know kind of all that time from 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 the injury right through to the onset of the condition right through to the diagnosis right through to the post diagnosis nothing in that period even came remotely close to the effect positively that biking had and mm-hmm. and I, I you know I don't mean to be disrespectful to you know any of the medical teams or you know any of the you know the visual social workers or the visual support teams but I got everything that I wanted and more from that one half a trail uh, and mm-hmm. that that was the catalyst that kick-started everything uh, and it actually led on then yeah. to the next phase, which was getting um, getting to know the disability sport Northern Ireland guys, and they then took that on to the next level, uh, and that brings us up to kind of to present day. Mm. And talk us talk us through the disability sport NA because you actually work there now, Brian. Yeah, I'm down there now. Um, 
and that all started um, uh, almost a year ago to, yeah, mm-hmm. a year ago, or it'll be a year next start of the month. So what happened there was, um, you know, two years ago when, when the bike started, you know, pre the, the very day before the bike, I was, you know, still confidence levels were down the pan, you know, self-esteem wasn't great, um, didn't really know who I was anymore, All everything that, that comes with, you know, with depression and all that. Uh, and then the biking was phase one and that just like everything that we've talked about there, it just reignited something. I started to feel enjoyment again. I started to, it was probably the first time that I looked at my condition and didn't see a negative. All I seen, I started to get this feeling of it's a different way of doing things, but it doesn't have to be a bad different. And that really then started the next phase, which was, right, what do I actually want to do? And then um, I had been speaking to the RNAB guys and they were like, well, why don't you think about doing something in disability sport? And I thought, here, do you know, that actually, I actually felt a passion just even hearing the words. I felt, you know, it was like, a, it was almost like it had carried on from, um, it had carried on from, from where mountain biking had taken me up to. And it, it, I could have brought it, instead of just having that kind of buzz and that kind of feeling, you know, for two or three hours on a Saturday and a Sunday, it, it felt like, oh, that's something that I could actually do during the week. Plus I'd be helping them, you know, myself. And plus I'd be hopefully being able to help, you know, someone else or other people. So it just kind of fitted in nicely. So, um, Long story short, uh, RNIB got in contact with um, DSNI and uh, there was an opportunity for a three-month placement um, for me to go in and just, you know, kind of ask questions and sort of see what they do on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I jumped at the chance and thank God they, you know, they were open to the idea. So I went in there for three months and um, just basically followed their their teams around and ask question after question after question and try to try to sort of model in where I, where I could in terms of help and stuff and it was just amazing to see them in operation but also you know I I got um, speaking to the division impaired guys the participants and the the people who are involved in their clubs and amazing because ultimately if I had say I had been struggling for say I had been struggling on how to cross a road one say a particular road in Belfast that I just couldn't get get right or I never felt safe on I could have thought about that for six weeks or eight weeks and still never got an answer and all I had to do was speak to somebody who was more experienced with visual impairment than I was and all I have to do is ask a question and within 10 seconds I have an answer Mm-hmm. unreal yeah no absolutely fantastic and what do you actually do there what's your position so there? after the after the me placement finished there was an opportunity for me to um to get into the sport development side of things the community sport development so i um began helping out on training courses um delivering training courses um basically basically delivering sessions and training courses to a sort of a vast array of, of the public. Um, 
from visually impaired right up to sort of corporate events and um, teacher teacher training and that kind of thing. So just um, the sport development side of disability sport. Yeah, and I'm sure you see some absolutely or hear of some absolutely fantastic yeah, stories throughout those it, people. Not only does it keep me motivated, it keeps it keeps me in perspective and it keeps my condition very, very much um, in that it is only a hindrance. It's not life-threatening and it's not, you know, it's not debilitating if you don't let it be. So it, it keeps me well and truly grounded and, you know, all I have to do is just, you know, take a step back and, and look at, you know, look at my colleagues, for example, um, mm. and see that see the work that they're doing for for people in potentially more severe situations than I'm in and it it doesn't be long um taking you back down if you're feeling sorry for yourself someday or if you're having a day where you're you're thinking per me you know it um mm-hmm. I I there's not a day goes by where I don't meet one person uh who I can add to the role model list you know yeah uh, it's it's pretty amazing and you know I, I'm sure being in that environment where then people are so motivated and disciplined and uh, you know just everything that goes with that it, you know it can only it can only make you more more motivated in yourself really, yeah you know? that that's you've you've hit the nail on the head they they um whether it be whether it be uh, the guys in the office or the the guys who are participating in sessions you know, their role models in uh, for their own, you know, in their own right and for their own um, their own reasons. And so I, I'm getting every side of the coin. I'm getting all I have to do is sit and, and listen to the colleagues talking about a particular issue, and I'm I'm getting professional advice without having to ask for it. And then see see our uh, see our participants getting involved in in sport. And have a chat with them, and I'm getting the personal advice uh, as well. So, you know, it it really is, it's unreal. And you know, if I can if I can give back in any small way, you know, to somebody who's, you know, behind me on the conveyor belt for want of a, a better term, mm-hmm. um, uh, new to to sight loss, if I can give them some of my brief and limited knowledge or expertise or whatever you want to call it and help them in some small way well happy days too yeah and, and i'm sure you i'm sure you do because you're very motivational yourself and what you've done and, and how you've taken your past you know from being very active in sport to your to what happened your accident and your condition to actually starting mountain biking you know it's i i find it very very motivating and sometimes i complain because it's raining outside <laughs> and i can't go you know i don't want to go on my bike because i'm going to get wet uh, i know i know uh, and you know i i would uh, i would be the first one to do that too you know if um and see if i'm <laughs> see if we're on on a trail and i'm having a particularly i'm having a stinker or having a bad one you know it's um sometimes it's it's the little things that get the the most blame you know mm-hmm. pedal didn't feel right today felt the same as it did yesterday you know his pedal hasn't changed you have <laughs> you're the one who's not using the pedal right brian you know um we we things like that um but the one thing that i try and not to do and i 
you know, I no matter where we ride or when we ride, and hopefully this will continue. The one thing I won't do is use my vision as an excuse for a bad day or a crash or a bad place in a race. That that would be a complete disservice to to the VI community who have less sight than me and function a million times better. You know, so I'll I'll never ever as long as I remember this statement. I never uh, say, "Oh, here that that didn't work out on the bike because because of my eyesight." Now things don't work out because you've tried it a certain way. That's fine, but I'll never. It'll never be the blame, like a, you know, like um, as an excuse for just maybe not doing the preparation properly or just having one of those days. Um, they'll come and go, but I I won't. Uh, it'll it'll never be an excuse. Well, what an awesome um, attitude to have. So, um, yeah, very good. Well, let's talk a wee bit about the future. Then. Sure. Let's have a wee chat about that. First of all, what kind of bike are you on at the minute? At then? the minute, you see, now you've you thought the last bits were long. This is uh, I'm a pure nerd when it comes <laughs> to this stuff. Uh, at the minute, I'm on a giant trance, and I've just finished finished building a a wee on one hardtail. Right. Okay. And. Is your trance full suspension? It is. It is. It is. Aye, they're full suspension. So do you have to modify your bike in any way, or is there anything you do to make it just easier for yeah. you on the trail? Um, do you know, not a massive amount, Gareth. Um, initially, I tried various different things. You know, I tried um, I tried to use um, pretty bright-coloured grips, for example, um, just so I could keep, you know, keep an eye if i'm using it's very very easy when you're using peripheral vision or if you've got a vision impairment in general that your balance sometimes gets a bit affected so that just it was almost like having a spirit level if um if a yellow grip to my left and a yellow grip to my right were equidistant then i was in the center of the bike um if that makes any sense yeah uh, but i ended up actually changing back to black grips because the you're all you have to do is get a pair of colored gloves yeah yeah S- simple simple as that and that is really the only kind of modification i suppose the, only, the 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 major modification is and it wasn't even a modification is um just i'm a flat pedal rider mm-hmm. um it's just you know things can happen too quickly that if i was clipped in it uh you know it, i'm not saying the flat pedal saved me but it's just easier to get away from yeah, no, I totally understand that. Uh, so no, that's that's really about uh, about the the height of any modification. I just messed around with colours, um, and uh, yes, yeah, the pedals. That that was that was it. Well, that's that's encouraging. So you don't really have to go to extra expense or or anything nah. like that. So that, that's the good thing. I did need extra so, extra so, suspension. Um, it, it was vital, so I had to get a. I had to get 160 pikes for the front just because, you know, they were essential. That's what I had to tell. I well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sometimes. Uh, well, you know, that's the good thing about uh, Does your wife ride? No. Mountain bikes, does no. she? Right. Well, that's the good thing then. You can say that, you know, no, no, that's the only, that's the only fork and fits. That that's exactly. <laughs> that's, you know, um, those those black coloured bits, they you know they really help on uh, on on race day. 
<laughs> so, so, what have you planned for racing this? Well, year? this year, um, in 2016, also Gareth, I entered, um, I entered the Castlewell and Vitus Enduro. Um, uh-huh. So that would have been in the April before the June, um, and I, com- I did, I completed Saturday practice, but the weather was that bad, and for me, it's, um, it's small victories and it's picking battles. On the Sunday, the the mist and fog was down over the hill, and I I just didn't feel safe, so I didn't actually race it. Yeah. So that's a an right, unscratched okay. itch. So this year, um, obviously, you know, Dava Enduro has a massive, you know, poignant place in in my heart. So those two are definitely getting raced, and uh, hopefully, Touchwood, um, one probably hopefully two of the. I would love to do Castlewell and Bigwood at uh, at the the Vitus, the Vitus runs. Now I still haven't decided whether I'll I'll go Challenger or go onto the big course. I'll I'll wait and I'll wait and see. Um, but even just to be even just to get a run at them. That that's great. You've it planned anyway. So uh, yeah, so the it's in the public domain now with with Ethan's article the this top thirty in in Dava. But you know I. I wasn't a million miles away from it last year, and I I think if I just have a a good day, if the if everything just plays in my favour, if brightness is nice, if it's if I just have a you know a, a nice feel good and have a good couple of first stages, I, I there's no reason why I couldn't get close enough to thirty. But yeah. then you yeah. know well, you just well, don't know how um how the rest of the boys improve too. So if everyone keeps improving at the same kind of rate. Um, I'll stay forty first, and if they if they keep improving more than me, I'll go back to ninety seven. <laughs> yes, well, I, I hope it goes well for you. I hope you have a good one. Um, it would be amazing, and if you have a blast, you got to come back on the show. Ah, oh, no doubt. Well, thoroughly enjoyed. Now, thoroughly enjoyed. It would be. Uh, it would be yes, and I hopefully will see you up there for sure. Now, Michael's. Michael got me all inspired when I, when he, he was on the podcast. I'm definitely doing it. I might just not be here, but I'll try and get home for it. For Do you sure. know the beauty of it is, Garth? Um, there's always the night one in November. Yeah. And, yeah, I need to do the night one too, for sure. I love riding at night. I love it. Yeah. It's, cool, it's bad, just so it? different. You know, and it's almost like you, you could go up to Dava through the day and then you go up to Dava through the night and they're like two different courses. You know, they're two different trails. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, you know, so you're getting one you're, thing you're getting that two trails for the price of one. That is exactly it, and it was amazing for me because, um, you know, the the night race, it it just it just even the playing field that that wee tiny bit more, um, you know, so that that was class. Then you got all the sensation of, um, you know, I I buzzed off listening to the boys just flying around talking about the dark and talking about you know can't see this and can't see that and they're just genuine excitement and then doing the transitions up the hills and you just thinking people are in the trees and hearing whispers and it was magical unreal yeah yeah no, cold but unreal awesome being in yeah and that was a pretty rough night too but it's awesome being in that environment at night I yeah love it. you know and a, a group of mountain bikers out there sure you couldn't you couldn't do anything you could there. not you could not so just before we wrap up, Brian, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to, a wee thanks to? Well, do you know, um, Killian, Killian Byrne, who um, who has been on a couple of spins with me and my brother, he's actually married to married to my cousin. Uh, he was responsible for a couple of photographs that went to Ethan. 
So um, without without Killian, Killian's mad into bikes too. Um, and uh, without Killian's input, there would have been, <laughs> it would have been very very drab because there would have been no photo- photography. I'm useless at that. Useless mm-hmm. at it. Um, so yeah, just say hello to Killian and you know the the usual suspects of uh, the boys who who got interested in the initial couple of posts. Um, Paddy Sarrett Senior was one of them. He's he's thinking of Facebook names at the minute. If we want to get a wee a wee group up and running to try and get a Sunday run going or something, or you know, a few right. things in the pipeline, but just um, just the, the the general the general clientele, general clientele and uh, <laughs> that's that's about that's about it. Brian, how can people keep in contact with you or find out a wee bit more or even fire some questions at you if they're if they're wanting to get involved in mountain biking or, or anything else? Is there any way? Are you on socials or anything like uh, that? Yeah, I'm, God, I haven't really, I haven't been very, very good at keeping up to date with it, but I'm on Facebook, so they can just find find Ethan's article and, and uh, comment away on that, mm-hmm. and then I can just pick it up there. Yeah, well, what we can do is if you want to send me some links to your socials or anything like that, I'll put them on the show notes and then people can I'll do that. Click that's, through and, that's perfect. You know, would you mind people asking you something? No, questions not at all. Jeepers, um, you know, it's it's something that not only am I am I comfortable talking about, I'm more than happy to talk about. And, you know, if if, if I can, because I, I was that person not too long ago where all I needed was a couple of answers and didn't know where to get them. And that became a massive thing. So, if I if I can be the middleman and and cut that stress out for somebody, um, more the merrier. Yeah, definitely. Certainly put them links on the show notes, and um, hopefully we'll get people stoked and motivated and get them out in the trails because you're such an inspiration. And you know, I'm so glad you're on the podcast and we could share your story because it it can just give light to so many people in different ways you know and even for somebody like me who's got nothing in the world to complain about it's inspiration for me it'll maybe get me out of the bed a bit earlier and get up the trail a bit longer yeah you know, yeah so it, things it, like that i think it really helps and, so so thank you so much oh uh, thoroughly enjoyed it now and you know it's it's great it's great even just having right. a chat about something that leads to bikes you know there's yeah. there's so there's so many little twists and turns in people's lives but ultimately you know they finish the week by getting on their bikes and going to the trails and then they they all go in their own direction dealing with their own things their own stressors their own happiness every, everything that goes with life and the next week comes along and they're out in the trails again and then they all separate and mm-hmm. It's 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 a myriad of everything. It's it's, it's just yeah. the business. It really is. Yeah, it is, and it's such a great community of guys around here. You know, like everybody's so friendly, everybody's so welcoming. Um, just all stoked on bikes, yeah. all stoked to being out in the fresh air, all stoked at getting a bit of fitness while enjoying yourself. You know, it's just it's just fun. And do you know what, God? See if conversations like this can show that our scene is you know it's as diverse as any other sporting scene around so that can only be a good thing because you know it's the it's the it's the diversity that makes it what it is and you know there's so true. you know there's there's people with 
you know, visual impairment. There's, I'm sure there's people with, you know, a, a hearing impairment. There's amputee riders. There's people with all sorts of walks of life and all sorts of ways and means of getting to the trails, but to get there. So, you know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, privileged and pretty um, thankful that I'm part of it. I really am because it's uh, no better scene to be involved in. Very, very true. And um, I thank you for being a part of it because, as I say, you'll be an inspiration to a lot of people and um, it can only be a good thing. Oh, well, I still, I still, that, that, I, I still don't feel that, but that's no, that's no bad thing either because, um, you know, there's, this is a, this is a work in progress and I just have to focus on the next ride being as helpful to me and then hopefully helpful to anybody who asked me about it as, as possible. And that's progress. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Listen, Brian, it's been awesome getting you. Oh, on thanks for having me. And, um, I wish you all the all the best in the future, and we will bump bump into each other on the trail. Yes, yeah. definitely will. Make a point of it. Yeah, definitely. If you're doing any of them Sunday runs or anything, definitely. Yeah, you just have to. to you'll just have to find me because um, chances of me spotting you are minimal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll bother me. That'll be that'll be no problem. That'll be no problem. Well, listen. Thanks again, Brian. I appreciate it, and um, I'll chat to you. In no the problem, guys. Thanking you. Awesome, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. That was fantastic. And if you want to know more about Brian, get in contact, have a chat with him. You can find all his details on the show notes. Just go to mtb-tribe.com and you will find them there. You can also download the show from the website directly there or you can listen to it uh, and stream it from, from the website. So it's all very, very easy. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher so please go there leave a review five stars is always the best of course and a load of you have done that so I just want to say thank you very much for that it is awesome it helps the show get rated better on iTunes and um, more people find it and more people get involved and that's why we're here to get people involved in the mountain biking industry um, and have their voices heard hopefully so that would be great if you could do that folks we're also on socials instagram is at mtb tribe and facebook mtb tribe so please get in contact you can also go on the website uh leave some details there you can subscribe to the website get insider scoops on what's happening throughout the week more will be happening on that in the near future so please just bear with me as i get that organized for you but if you subscribe you'll get show notes and stuff as well sent to your email box you won't be getting bombarded by with emails or anything like that and also there's a contact area there if you want to hear from certain people on the show or if you want to discuss certain things or or hear from certain topics on the show please get in contact and let me know and i will try my best to do that i do read them all and i will get back to you so again folks thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it and thanks to brian for sharing his story and i'm sure you found that very very motivational and inspiring um, as, as i did when i was chatting to him so it's great to have people like brian involved in mountain biking i, I really appreciate him being involved and being on the show so thanks folks thanks for listening and i will talk to you next week